Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group, the only blockchain event and media production company I trust. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into the crypto and blockchain space, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you won't be disappointed. When we talk about the crypto space over the past decade, there aren't a huge amount of metrics that we can use to kind of gauge how things are going. Like right now, what do we use? The price. Um, We look at the price and everyone thinks that that's how we gauge um, how the crypto space is doing. You know, you look at uh, the jobs, how many jobs have we put out, how much, how many companies have raised money, all these different things is what we use to tell if we're in a bear market or bull market or whether crypto is going to exist in five years in general. There are very few metrics because none of them involve having boots on the ground, having people in a room. And my next guest, Mo Levine, he has been running one of the largest media companies in the crypto space going back as far as 2013. And the reason I talk about metrics before I introduce him, the reason I talk about metrics is because his conferences have been what people have used to see how the space has been doing. So when we're in a bull market, Mo has thousands of people in the largest conference halls in Miami and Dubai, um, in London. But when the market isn't doing so good and the crypto space is going through a bear market, there's maybe a few hundred attendees in a, in a room somewhere. And I've been through so many of these events. His events are known um, as keynote events and some of the most famous projects have been launched, like Ethereum was launched on the stage by Vitalik Buterin at the Bitcoin Miami conference. And famously, I was actually on my way to the conference in Miami in 2014 when I was arrested. And now when I when I go back to the events and speak at them, we kind of get on stage and Mo gets on stage as a joke and says, hey, guys, um, yeah, we don't know where Charlie is. And everyone laughs because they remember a few years ago when I was arrested. Mo, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Charlie. So it's interesting because the, when you got into to Bitcoin doing your first event in 2013, um, the market was a little bit different than it is now. And um, no one really knew who you are. Um, no one really knew. There weren't really many events going on. There was one kind of event um, in San Jose. What was the landscape like for you and why did you decide to do this? It, it was an interesting time. I was uh, just graduated from university and I had heard about Bitcoin at a supply chain conference I was at and the people were laughing about it. Um, but it seemed novel and interesting. And I looked to the only place where there was some information and I went on Bitcoin talk and I started reading the white paper and reading some messages on there. And even back then there was quite a bit of drama um, but it was really just usernames on the Bitcoin Talk forum. There wasn't big Twitter followings or that was the conference. Uh, the conference was everyone in a chat room on the Bitcoin Talk forums. That was the that was the only way people were getting information. Really, it was just the Bitcoin Talk forum. And so I, I, I read a lot about Bitcoin back then, still trying to understand what it was and what it meant, but also understood that 
there's probably a business opportunity here that doesn't uh, relate solely to trading Bitcoin, buying and selling Bitcoin. And I sort of want to insulate myself from the downside risk of buying Bitcoin and the price going down. And I came up with the idea to make a event to connect the people's usernames with the actual people and meeting each other on person. Uh, the only event before mine was the Bitcoin event in San Jose. And so it, it was quite opportune timing. And I just posted on the forum saying, hey, uh, Bitcoin seems cool. Uh, I, I think it would be good for the industry to have a conference where people would meet, talk to each other. Um, and, and I on, openly asked for help. I just said, is there anybody that can give me a hand here? Because nobody knows me. I don't know anybody. And I'm just reading these. I, I, I had to post, I think, made 10 posts just so I can post in a public forum in a public uh page there. I remember that you, there's the uh the rule that you can't post in the public bitcoin talk forums because you have to post in the newbie forums for 10, ten times before you could even do that exactly so, I, mean, <laughs> I, I was just posting nice <laughs> n- nice posts nice articles nice Thanks posts, nice posts. <laughs> um what so at this point had you had you run events everywhere before because now you go to one of your events and they're like it looks like you've been running events for 100 years Super yeah, professional. the the I, during college I was working in a conference company, which was very serendipitous and lucky that I was working in that company. I had told the girl at a bar that I was a photographer because I didn't think uh, it was as sexy as saying I was a psychoanalyst. And a couple of days later, I got a phone call from this uh, supply chain conference company saying they needed a photographer. So I went and shot for them for uh, a few months and then started writing with them. Wait, did you hold on? Did you just (laughs) did you just show up with with a throwaway camera or like a Nikon D40 and say, hey, I'm a photographer now and pretend to to focus the shots or whatever? Well, the guy the guy gives me a call and says, hey, I heard you're a photographer. And I said, who, who told you that? And he said, uh, this girl said that I think you met her at a bar and she said, you're a photographer. And I said, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, What what do you need? And he said, well, we need somebody to take a picture at a conference of ours that we're hosting in Vienna. I said, well, how how much does it pay? And he said, 1500 euro. And I said, holy shit. I'm in. Oh, I'm in. I'll learn how to take a picture. I went, I bought a camera and I figured it out. And then we and, got and it was, uh, so I, I worked with them for a year or so and uh, started writing it uh, about what I learned in the supply chain procurement industry over the year of shooting for them. And and I was just watching all their movements and, and how they were making the event, what I could do better. And when I heard about Bitcoin, I said, OK, let me just copy this uh, this recipe that they're doing, but do it better and more efficiently. And do it myself because I saw they were struggling with overhead and all sorts of things. And so the first event was not good. It was not like the events that I throw now. The first event was in a comedy club in Amsterdam. The exhibit hall was in the same hall as the speakers. Uh, it, the, the audio was not good. The video footage was not good. But uh, that's where I sort of cut my teeth on. And, and after that, started doing more upscale, well-produced events. And that's how it started. Even in the beginning, like, I mean, uh, so I heard about Bitcoin and I was moving to Amsterdam uh, with my girlfriend, now fiance. We get married next week, actually. Congratulations. Um, thanks, man. Uh, 
I, I told her, listen, I, I had just moved to Amsterdam. I, I didn't have any savings. And I said, listen, I heard about this Bitcoin thing. I, I want to make an event about this. Uh, I need to borrow money. I, I have no money. Could I, could I borrow maybe 2,000 euro to make this event happen? And she lent me the money and I, I produced this event in Amsterdam. It's like the classical I forgot my wallet at home trick. <laughs> yeah. The stakes were higher. I didn't have any, any job or anybody I knew here. Yeah, she, she helped me out. I paid her back also. My mother had lent me the original money to start Bit Instant. It actually came from my bar mitzvah money um, when in similar years, a, a year earlier, um, the end of 2011, um, you know, everyone kind of knows the story. I was um, trying to start Bit Instant and I had the same thing. I was living in my parents' basement, no money to my name. Um, and, you know, I think my parents actually regret, um, I think my parents actually regret it because... And I haven't spoken to them in many years, but um, I feel like, and I'm just guessing here, I feel like they kind of regret lending me that money to start to start Fit Instant because if they hadn't the ten thousand dollars to start the company, um, I may not have been able to actually start the company. And for you know, I could have just very simply decided to do something else, and we would never be having this conversation. And because I was able to start the company, um, like you. Very quickly, I got um, financially independent, and and at that point, I was also um, having you know uh, wandering in my thoughts of where I wanted to be in the future. And eventually, fast forward many years, I left the community, the the Orthodox community, and um, I feel like that was a pivotal moment. And and my parents, um, if they hadn't done that. Who knows? I may still be living in their basement or married to some nice Jewish girl or whatever and still in yeshiva or a rabbi. I was trained to, that's what I was trained to do. Yeah. It, I, it, that's an option. That That's a certainly one of the paths that you could have taken. But I think probably when you started Bidistant, you were passionate enough and hustling enough that if they didn't give you the money, you'd have figured it out. Maybe True it would story. be a different company. Maybe you would have worked with, with, Someone Jesse else instead or whatever. Maybe you would have worked with Roger or something. Yeah, they, I, I think the paths probably would have led to a similar fate. You grew up in, in Canada. What brought you to Amsterdam? Uh, I left Toronto when I was 18 and just uh, moving around to different universities. And generally, I would follow a girl to somewhere and then figure out a life in that city. And then living in Vienna, I met a Dutch girl and came to Amsterdam. It was a simple choice. Vienna is a bit of a tricky city. It is. I love Vienna, though. It's somewhere I've always thought of being able to move down the road, but Amsterdam is always a top one, but I feel like Amsterdam is very expensive, hard place to live. Um, but what? why Why Amsterdam over Vienna? Vienna is really beautiful. Uh, as a city, the architecture is beautiful, but the it, and it ranks number one in the world in quality of life. But I think it's really the quality of life if you're over 50. Uh, there's not many bars. There's not many restaurants. Uh, it, it, and most people don't speak English that are uh, Viennese. Whereas in Amsterdam, the, everybody speaks English and is super kind. And it's a young city. Do you ever go back to Canada often? I, I used to go more often. Now it's... Uh, Maybe once or twice a year. It's we come from similar backgrounds, and there are wedges between parents and children that believe different things. It's interesting because most people can't really understand this concept of 
you know, um, blood is thicker than water is people tell me all the time. And I live in a, I live in a city here in Florida. That's like considerably older. The, um, the average, the, the average age is like fifties here. So when I meet people and they say, Oh, your parents must be so proud of you. And I say, well, I, you know, I haven't spoken to them in a few years. And I go on this whole tirade about how your parents are so important and everything. And that's, that's great. I agree with all this stuff, but I really don't want to get into, into details with the guy who's feeding the birds on the street about my whole life. It's, it's a, it's a tricky one. Yeah. I I think you're right that people that have gone through, uh, separation from their family are the only people that can really understand what that's like. It's, it's a tricky one. It's, 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 it's very sensitive and, and people generally tend to feel bad for you um, where, where it's it, or, or take pity, but there's nothing pitiful about it. It's, it's more the independence and, and the independent choices you make. I mean, you and Courtney seem like you couldn't be happier. You got a great place in Florida. Uh, I, to me, that sounds like a win. It was our choice. It's something that we decided to do. It's actually extremely liberating. And I think that, um, that it kind of goes hand in hand with with the crypto space too, because um, we are people, and and it's interesting enough. We're not the only ones. For the sake of their own privacy, I won't name specific people, but I've had dozens of people in the crypto space come out to me. People that you and I know that are that are CEOs of major companies and very well respected in the space that have gone through ex, ex, sim, extremely similar situations. Um, that we went through with our families. Um, and I feel like it's a characteristic maybe that that we all share. And if you allow me to kind of dive into that for a second, it's an interest. I, I, I think a lot about this. Um, and I feel like a characteristic that we share is that we need to figure things out on our own. And growing up, we're always told these things and taught lessons by our families, and not just me and you, the, the whole world. That's how the whole world is. Maybe for us, because we grew up in a more of a religious community, it was a little bit different. But the world in general, that's how it works. You grow up, your family teaches you everything, and you you learn things. But, so, you know, I feel like sometimes the more things are pushed on us, the more we push back and the more we want to learn. And it's a characteristic that's really good for crypto because this space is all about challenging the norms that we've had for hundreds of years. Yeah, I I, I would go even further, which is it, it, being raised in a conservative, strict environment where things are pushed on you. Either you accept it and you become like everyone else, or you become fiercely independent. And the hard thing about being fiercely independent, especially at a young age, is you become very anti-authority. And that's good in industries which, uh, if you want to be a founder or something, it makes you a terrible employee and it makes you a... You're psychologically unemployable. Yeah. It, you can't listen to somebody else because you have been burnt so badly by other people. that, And it becomes very tricky in relationships later in life to to be with somebody else and in a normal functioning relationship, give and take and share and, and learn from um, when you are psychologically not ready to share and learn from somebody else, it becomes very hard. And, and uh, I, I've been through in therapy for years dealing with these things, dealing with authority issues, but in, in crypto um, 
it is okay. And and especially early on in crypto, a lot of these things were um, the agenda was more political as anti-authority and stop the power. Political or ideological? Politically charged ideology, I would say. It, it, it was ideological, but also there was a, a definite anti-something in the beginning. For, for many people, and, and I've seen that at events, how it's changed over the years from being um, very political and having political speakers on stage talking about, let's say ideological, people that wanting to change the status quo and make a better future for people. Um, the making a better future theme has taken a backseat. Has that changed? I mean, how have you seen the progression? So, you, So your events... Let's just take let's just say we take the individual attendees over all your events over the course of six, seven years. Right. At this point, um, how many individual attendees do you think you've you've had? Twenty five thousand. OK, so that's, that's a huge number of people that are physically going to an event for crypto. Now, you take that number and has that has that attendee demographic changed um over the course of that time or is it is it more like a scale like it goes one way and then it goes a different way and then it goes back to a certain way i mean you have great metrics that you should release without putting out data like specific information yeah i i, I and you're you're right the the data that i have and the metrics of the industry and the health of the industry and, and how many people and how long people are spending reading articles on the site or join, being on the site. Yes. Uh, the, 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 the demographics have shifted for sure. I mean, the technology was much more, much less mature in 2012, 2013. And you only had, it, it was theoretical stuff. It was like, Oh, this is what it could do. This is how it could do it. Yes. And, and back then was only Bitcoin. There was Omni and and maybe uh, some small counterparty, coins, counterparty, and Feathercoin or some other nonsense. Feathercoin. Like th- these were that w- <laughs> that was all we had. Uh, the good old days. Uh, Charlie made lit- Litecoin, and that was an improvement in some ways. But uh, yeah, it, it it was new and exciting, and people were encouraged by a wide open space, uh, and and there wasn't much money to be made. There wasn't a, a whole lot of money to be made in the industry, and the fluctuations were more intense. You could you could move the market with very little money, and uh, when Silk Road collapsed, the price dropped thirty dollars in in a couple hours. That thirty dollars in a, in a couple seconds is is more than norm right now. Uh, so so it, it was just more let's say sensitive back then to fluctuations and more interested, let's say even more academic back then. Now you have very few people that are dealing with the academics of it all. Charles Hoskinson is a very good example of somebody that's dedicated to promoting uh, academia and and research in in his project. Well, because I feel like it's changed from what matters. Um, Academia is not sexy, I guess. And ICOs are and making money is and all these different things are. And um, crypto didn't need to be sexy in 2013 because it was just all a bunch of guys in the room 
That, that's what it was. It was a bunch of guys. And also there was a bunch of guys in, in T-shirts or and... Flip-flops. Flip-flops and hanging out. And uh, last year in Miami, we had 5,000 people. And I would say 20, 30, even 40% were wearing suits. I never wanted to make an event where people wear suits in. So what do you do about that? I, I adjust. It's also a business decision to... Uh, I, I employ people and we all need to have revenue and net profits to keep everybody employed and keep the lights on so we adjust and we accommodate and we change we, we i i still try to so in in one way it's a business decision keep the business running and, and maximize value and extract as much as you can while you can on the second hand personally i i want to embed you know in, in miami this year we had a bitcoin museum showcasing the history of it all and how to free ross that campaign. was so cool and and that was something that's overlooked by many other events um, to have the to, history, the history. How, how did we get here is an important question to ask. That's why I'm doing this show. I started this show to speak to people like you and to preserve for the record of how we got here and why. Why did did Mo decide to do a a conference in 2013 when I'm sure you had better things to do? Um, or maybe we didn't have better things to do. We just, this is what we all thought that we could do, but it's, it's really interesting because the, especially the Miami event, the Miami event is seen, you know, Miami is a great city to laid back city, but the Miami event is very important in the hearts of the older crypto folk because it was one of the first events. It's one of the longest running events. But no matter how busy we are and no matter what's happening in our lives or in the world, we don't want to miss the Miami event. And the Miami event is unspoken, the North American Bitcoin Conference. And this is, you probably know this already, but this is coming from me is I agree. You know, this is how I feel. Um, the Miami event is where we all kind of get back together. It's our one year reunion. And so you may go the whole year and not see or even speak to some of your really, really old friends and people that you shared some great bonds and memories with. And then Miami comes and we all go. We drop everything to go. And moreover, it's it's not going to the specific conference. And that's very important. But it's getting everyone back together in the same rooms, dinner, drinks, and seeing all your friends and you never really have to ask, are you going to be in Miami this year? It's kind of a known thing. And if someone doesn't go, it's why weren't you in Miami this year? Did you intend for it to, for it to be like that? The, the the main aim has always been bring people together and move the conversation forward. That it's become this monumental event that everybody has on their calendars is a fantastic byproduct. And... and I, I think comes back a little bit to, to what you were saying of did we have something better to do or maybe we didn't have something better to do. Um, that could have been the case. Maybe we didn't have anything better to do. But to continue for seven years, over seven years, everybody had something else to do. But to stick with it in, in, in 2015, 2016, Miami was uh, a lot more sober event. Um, the, the, and it was just the people that were putting in their time, keeping their heads down, working and reuniting every year to build something together. And some of the greatest projects, which is also a nice byproduct of the event, is that some of the greatest projects have been founded, not launched. People have met each other at the event and created amazing projects. 
just from the interactions you know, they have. And that's so true. Uh, Vitalik launched Ethereum on your stage in 2014. And, and things like things like Wanchain, the, the founders met at my event and and went on to create some. The, the, one of the biggest aims, and something that I talk to the team a lot about, is what we're trying to do is create a sort of a serendipity box. Just get serendipity box. Yeah, that that's the concept we've come up with. Just create an opportunity for serendipity to happen, and. You only you only get that by putting good people together and just seeing what'll happen. Alcohol helps a little bit, but just creating opportunities for the serendipitous to occur is good. And when people say, because there's there's a lot of different events happening, and some people say, you know, this event it's it was bad last year, it's going to be bad this year. I say, you know what? It costs you five hundred bucks. Go to that event, and maybe something serendipitous will happen. Whether it's meeting somebody there, meeting somebody at an after party learning something about a different culture if the if the conference is in a different place but uh maximizing the serendipitous opportunities in your life can only pay dividends we talk about something better to do um would would, would we be doing something different and something that i also think about is um a lot of people look at us um and think that we are people that have a lot of self-confidence um I'm talking about myself specifically. People look at us and say, wow, that guy has a lot of self-confidence. He has a lot of self-respect, self-esteem to do this. And I feel like I feel like it's the opposite, at least for me. I feel like, yes, with crypto, I have a lot of self-confidence because, you know, I've been doing this for so long. And I we probably, you and I know this better than most people do. So we can get up in a room and speak about crypto with authority. Um, but I feel like it's the opposite. It's the it's the um, the fear that we have of crypto dying and us have having nothing else to do because you got into crypto right out of university so you didn't have the opportunity to like do something else okay you were you were a, a photographer in Vienna for a few days and you work for an events company but this is your thing this is your legacy this is what you were put here to do this is what you're doing. And so if, if crypto went away, you, don't you have that fear waking up at night in cold sweat saying, shit, what would I do if I didn't have this? Yeah, I, I think you're touching on an important topic, which is how do you basically diversify your life that you aren't hanging your hat just on crypto? Because what do you do if, what do you do when? These are, these are uh, important questions. Uh, you're right. As as much as you tie yourself to any one topic or one one thing, you you run the risk of of being left in the woods with your pants down when when everything comes down when everything breaks. But holding the bags, yeah. I, I I'm trying other things as well. I'm going to launch an agricultural technology conference in October. See how that goes. It's, it's important to work on other things and, and be involved in other projects. And there's many humanitarian crypto projects which are sort of on the fence, whether they're crypto, whether they're humanitarian projects, but those are also great. And many people are working on those as well. Um, yeah, the, the domain expertise gives people self-confidence. I mean, I, I, sure. I, I don't know how much you prepare when you get up on stage. I know for myself, I, I prepare very little because... Somebody gives, I wing it. somebody gives me a microphone, I'm ready to go. I've never written a speech in my life. 
because you know what you're talking about, it comes naturally. Yeah. G- give me a speech about geopolitical conflicts in, in Africa. But you can figure it out. Don't give me that. If you if I had to put you on stage with any subject, okay, maybe not any subject, but something that you have marginal information or you read like an article about that morning, you can get up on stage and speak for 30 minutes about it. I, I think you're right. And that's also coming back to where we come from is there's nothing to lose. You know, you're fiercely independent. You can do what the hell you want. You can say, speak. And, and what, what? there's no stakes. Worse comes to worse. You're still... You might have sounded like an idiot, but it it has no impact on your life. (laughs) That's the best part. There's no stakes. And when there are no stakes, nothing matters. It's a good point. And do you feel like because of the risks that you've already taken and the things that you've already done and, and the fact that you've built your independence to where you are today, I don't like to use the term fearless, but you have less fear in failing because you've already failed you have nothing to lose. You've done this. And then it enables you to do crazy things like making the logo of your conference your glasses, which is like your brand now. Like, I'm surprised you haven't launched your own glasses <laughs> line. I'm trying to, I'm actually launching my own flip flop line now. <laughs> I think you'd be I'm serious. very successful in that. It is your thing. I, 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 are you wearing flip flops right now? I, I always wear, I don't, <laughs> I don't own shoes except for tennis shoes. Yeah, but I, I think you're right. It, you, you become more fearless and a little bit more in the beginning. I think it would be riskier not to take a risk. And and when you're young, it's more risky not to take a risk. The, the safe options are always more risky when you're young and you have a lot of time ahead of you. And when there are no stakes and you've got nothing to prove and you have no shareholders and you have nobody to answer to, you can do whatever the hell you want. There's You don't have that luxury in most industries. In most industries... Uh, and for better or worse, the, I mean, in, 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 even in this industry, some people that are well-respected say some dumb shit and then they get in trouble because they're well-respected. People. No, we don't. No, no, we don't say dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely do. Some people do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting point. And I'm, and I feel like there, there are so many common denominators that when I speak to, to guests here on the show, um, you're very like everyone else. We don't realize it, but when we get into it, um, we're all kind of like the same in, in, in a lot of these same traits. And, you know, we have to hats off to our significant others for, for, for being with us to, to where we are today. A hundred percent. Yeah. To, to, to be in this industry and to have been in this industry for so long, you, you essentially create pretty thick. You, you need to have some pretty thick skin to not give a fuck about what anybody else says. Cause there's no shortage of people that are questioning what you're doing and whether or not this thing is going to be successful. Or, I mean, for the last year, people looking at me that if I've talked about Bitcoin with, they say, Oh, it's not going so well. Hey, uh, must be, must be pretty rough for you and having pity. And I'm like, man, fuck Bitcoin's oh, gone a hundred all X. the time, but, but I'm walking my dog. People walk up to me on the street and say, man, I'm sorry about, about Bitcoin, man. I'm sorry. It's like, no one died. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong, but you have to develop a pretty thick skin and and anybody in this industry has to develop a pretty thick skin. You don't need to develop a thick skin if you want to be an accountant. That's for sure. You just be an accountant and people say, what do you do? I'm an accountant. Oh, good for you. Wait. That's like the biggest turnoff conversation. I'm an accountant. Do you walk in with nothing? You could say, <laughs> it's a oh, did you read the new guidance that came out last week? It's it's 
it's a boring profession and, and there's no risks and there's no need to do any sort of personal development. Uh, shout out to all my accountant friends out there, but uh, I have a really good accountant <laughs> friend too. Mark, you're great. I love you. It's uh, you, you, it's not the most, yes, I, I know what you're trying to say. And, and this, this industry is, I mean, you wake up every day, you wake up every single day and you're like, what's going to happen today? You're almost like, as soon as you open up your inbox, first thing you do, you're like something, some shit's, some crazy shit's going to happen today. Something's going on. I don't even know. And, and you get a little itchy on, on the boring days. Um, and it's, it's, it comes to a point and it has been at a point, you, you know, I, I'll also read some, some, I open Bloomberg or some news site in a, a New York times and there'll be something about a fund manager screws with $50 billion or $10 billion and then he embezzles something. And I'm like, Oh fuck, please don't be a Jew. Please don't be a Jew. And then, you know, nine times out of 10, but also in crypto, if there's like technology company got hacked, I'm like, Oh fuck, please don't be a crypto company. Please don't buy uh, Binance. Uh, yeah, it's it's or it's you say, please don't let it be someone that I know or don't let it be one of my sponsors. For sure. Also, and it's the crypto company goes to prison. I'm like, oh, fuck, please. No, please. No. Yeah. 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 You, you just don't know what's going to happen. And, and I, I feel the same way. That's it, it, I please. I say, please don't let it be me. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 in any startup, if people are doing interesting things, there's going to be heat and there's going to be attention. If you're doing something interesting and there's attention drawn to you, you're in the right business. That's a very good point. Um, and it's not for everybody. Anything... If you're doing anything that is impactful and is going to change the world, uh, there should be people talking about you. So I want to go back to to your 2014 conference, um, which I wasn't at actually. So <laughs> I, I'm asking because I'm curious on how it went. But there were some some big things that happened there. Um, did you expect for for 2014 to to be as big as it was? Not at all. Not at all. Because think about four months earlier, I did this event in a comedy club in Amsterdam for like 250 people. And mo- Paint us a picture. Paint us a picture. What was the crypto space like at that moment? Where were we at? For the people who have been new to the space, to Miami 2014, what was going on? What was the weather that day? It was, it was quite sunny. It was sunny that day. but <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> Well, you, you had probably some rights to go to the gym in the quad. I was sitting in a <laughs> in a solitary confinement cell. Uh, fucking hell, that's rough. Anyway, so I'll, I'll paint you a picture of 2013 and compare it to 2014. 2013, we had about 10 sponsors in a comedy club, 10 exhibitors, 200 people. And those 200 people would go on to create some amazing things. These, are, these were the leaders of the industry coming to the event. And... Uh, Vitalik got on stage. He he was selling Bitcoin Magazine on on yeah, one of the exhibitor booths for you know five five euro each and had a little plastic bag. I have a nice picture of that as well. Um, but uh, so Vitalik gets on stage, talks about he created an app uh, a, a app you can plug into your website and you could accept Bitcoin payments for a product. And he was launching the magazine on a website and you could pay for it with Bitcoin. And that that was yeah, Vitalik. Vitalik would walk was walking around just with a little pencil and paper, I remember, and just would be doing interviews. And before Vitalik launched Ethereum, and now he's like considered a god, and I, I love V. But he was the guy that you'd ignore on Skype when he'd call you to get a comment about a, about a story, like who reads Bitcoin Magazine? Exactly. It, it, so, it, and at that point, where it was it was sort of the 
real infancy. You, you see all these people now that Jesse Powell was there speaking about this little exchange that w- didn't have very high uptime, but it kind of worked. And uh, Tony Gallippi talked about BitPay, this this sort of payment processor that's trying to raise some money. Uh, it, it was it was nothing. Pe- people thought it was a funny, weird tech new tech thing, but nobody believed in it. And then over the months of September to January that year, uh, Mt. Gox screwed with the price of Bitcoin and a lot of people lost money. But first, the price went to $1,000. It was all over the news um, that Bitcoin is this new revolution. And I had planned the Miami conference just because I wanted to be in Miami in January. Europe is cold in, in the winter. So I'll do something in Miami, see how that goes. Uh, the price went to a thousand dollars, and and people came out in in, in droves. They, Vitalik was working on something over the past four months, and he he got on stage and explained how Ethereum could work. And uh, Roger gave a great speech about Bitcoin and and the the ideology be, behind Bitcoin and and why it's important. Uh, Bruce gave a great speech. I mean, everybody was people were excited. For, for the for the first time, I think people felt uh, vindicated that they they were right, and that was that was the first moment where the price is reflecting how right they were, and and the 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 vibe was great. We we had amazing parties and and the event was sold out and and chaotic because I was just doing it myself. My girlfriend was taking pictures and helping with the registration. Some friends from Toronto were there helping out as well. Uh, it was like two, three people handling a conference of 1,200 people. Uh, it, 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 we were not ready for it. I don't think anybody in the industry was ready for it. It was just so bizarre. And, and the funny thing about Bitcoin then and Ethereum then and now, that not so much has changed. In terms of the functionality and how things work in Bitcoin, nothing, nothing's really changed. That's one of its most bullish things is that Bitcoin hasn't changed and that's how you know you can save it and use it and spend it is that it won't change. You know, however many people try to attack it, Bitcoin doesn't care. Honey Badger. Honey Badger don't give a fuck. But the people have changed, no? The people have changed. So so you have sharks. When there's, then there's money, there's sharks. And there, there's opportunistic people that are trying to get rich quick. And that, that won't change. That's in every industry. But but in, in those events, we had guys, you know, wearing wearing pink uh how do you call it those like ballet skirts and 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 holding flags and and random it it was just people trying to find their way in a new industry there was no uh ecosystem really there was bitcoin was the only thing some people were launching small projects mastercoin was there and uh uh what's his name from eos was with his brother Oh, uh, Dan Larimer. Dan Larimer and his brother were given some. some this it, was BitShares. This is before this was, Steam, before EOS. Yeah, they were they were together with BitShares, their company. I forget the name, but uh, Dan Larimer was fighting with Satoshi on the internet about the concept of BitShares and proof of stake versus proof of work. Yeah, but th- and every company back then was Bit something or Coin something. It still is. That, that's another <laughs> conversation that the industry needs better marketing people. Coinbit, Coinbit, or Coin Coin Sharebit, Ethereum. Uh, yeah, uh, 
it, it was just people trying to find their way and find where they fit in. The ecosystem was not developed. There was very little to do with uh, companies. Now, now there's you can see these maps online if you search for like crypto ecosystem, all sorts of things. There's gaming, gambling, KYC, remittance. There's there's peer to peer. There's there's exchange platforms now. The crypto industry now is like it's like the Chabad movement, right? <laughs> so for those who don't know, there's there's this Jewish organization around the world that if you're Jewish, you can literally be on climbing uh, K2 mountain, or um, you could be in the depths of Tibet. You can be in Antarctica. And there is a little, there will always be somewhere where you can get a kosher meal or meet another Jew to like pray with or whatever, and just have a little community. It's it's known as, it's the thing. You can be in India and this, this it's called the Chabad movement. And the, the crypto ecosystem is like the same thing. You could be anywhere in the world and tweet or say, hey, um, I love crypto what do I do? Um, can I meet up with someone and someone will just show up and he'll be like your instant brother or best friend. Now it's gotten, it's gotten a little creepy though. Yeah. It, it used to, it, yeah, but it still is like that. There's elements because again, if, if you're talking about people who have had to defend themselves and fight to do what they want to do, there's a brotherhood in this, a brotherhood in crypto where people, there, there's instant respect. If you've been in the industry for more than a few months, you, you've had to deal with a lot of things. And, and, it's, and other people, it, it resonates with other people in the space. I think the difference now then is that then when you, if you were traveling in 2013 or 14 or 15 and you met someone who was involved in crypto, you know that they shared a lot of the same ideological reasons as you. But now it could be that they just got in to make some money and they made some money and now they're you know, they're involved in crypto, they know who you are or whatever. More, more often not, than It's not that. a bad thing. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. It's just an interesting point. Um, you know, you, you mentioned some people earlier that were on stage. You mentioned Roger Veer. You mentioned Bruce Fenton, um, Vitalik, Charles Hoskinson. Um, a lot of these people today um, won't share the same stage, let alone be in the same building as each other. What, why did that happen? That's a, that's a pretty sad sad development in crypto um i think that the sort of person that goes on to create important projects and assuming crypto is important which i do uh and assuming that it'll play a major role in the future which i do as well uh if you're going to create a very big company and a very radical change it takes a pretty radical person to do that. And if you have radical people needing to interact with each other, and there's also an element of autism in all of this, which is a hallmark of most startups. That's one founders. of the first things my therapist said, by the way. It's, He's like, you're on the spectrum. I think everybody is, and it, it, but it's more hallmarked by leaders of the industry. I, I'm not diagnosing anybody, but we could have a private conversation about that. Uh, yeah, just radical people doing radical shit. It's, it's, it makes sense that not everybody's getting along and it's fucking unfortunate because together we are stronger. Like there are more things that we are similar about than we, than we diverge. We, we, diversity is our strength and, and we, we, most people that have created it, everybody that has made something in this industry shares a lot, but it's tricky. People are very different 
in some ways and, and get along better, or worse. And if you have, you're going to have byproducts, like you said earlier, it's just, it's just going to happen. And, but the th- I think time does heal um, with our families, hopefully too. But, you know, um, I'll give you a certain example with, with uh, me and Roger, we had a very big falling out and I feel like hopefully now it's starting to thaw a little bit. Um, we've reached out to each other. I thought, um, my relationship with the Winklevoss twins would, would get a little bit better, but I guess not in that respect. Um, but it's, it's people are definitely getting better. But the reason I bring, I brought that up and I, I didn't finish the question is that I've noticed that at your events, you still have all those people coming and a lot of the people that will, you know, fiercely compete with each other online um, or fiercely are on Twitter trolling each other all the time. They come to one of your events and specifically the Miami event. And I've seen this firsthand and I see them in a corner having drinks or I see them hanging out with each other with smiles. I feel like people are willing to let their guards down a lot more at especially the North American Bitcoin conference. Have you, have you noticed things like that? A hundred percent. And I, I feel very fortunate to be able to do that. I, I don't know what the secret sauce is there. It's, it's hard to, I, I think creating an environment, which is fun, exciting, and there's a lot of drinks. It's harder to be antagonistic towards somebody else in that sort of environment. And the events that I produce and my team produces we try to make them fun and we take, we're very agnostic about, uh, especially as a company, what's better and what's worse. We take no position in any fights. We don't have any, any skin in the game who, who's better, or who's worse. And, and I think that people recognize that and it becomes a more safe space for everybody to get together. And, and, but isn't the lack of a position a position? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. The position we're taking is no position. Correct. It's like being passive is also is being active because by not taking a position, you're taking a position. For example, um, a lot of the hardcore Bitcoin maximalists won't come to the event because you allow sponsors and you allow sponsors, you know, if they're an ICO or they did whatever they did. Um, Of course, you do. You know, you you don't you, you I don't think you've had almost none like scams and outright frauds. You do do due diligence. But a lot of Bitcoin maximalists don't like, you know, anything that's not Bitcoin. Um, and so the fact that you're allowing um, those type of sponsors or those type of companies to speak and partake in the event is a position in and of itself. And it's a position that I agree with, by the way. I'm just curious to know if you've gotten slack from that. Always getting slack. And and people send pretty rough emails to my team and to myself about why we're doing this. Oh, I'd love to hear those. <laughs> um, I, I, I think... Most of what I've learned about this early on from Matt Rozak, who was always saying that this is a small industry that needs to grow. And the more people involved, the better, the more inclusive it is, the better. He's been a big proponent of just embrace everybody. There's there's no need for this right now. And I don't think there's any need for it ever. I mean, how much mental energy and time has been wasted with the, the 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 scaling wars and the scaling debates and the which is better which is worse nothing basically works anyways so just work together and try to figure out a better solution and, and work together it, it's it, the, the end goal for everybody should be making the world a bit better and to to just pass on less shit to whoever's coming next and 
you can do that by collaborating and creating collaborative experiences and serendipitous experiences is sort of what I, I hope to do. That, that's the key. Where do you see your events in five years from now? I have no idea. I hope they keep growing. I, who knows what the industry does? As it grows, there's more competition. There's people with bigger pockets and bigger marketing budgets. Uh, it's It's been a blessing that we've been going on this long and, and still remain one of the important in, events in the industry. Okay, so I want to take a complete turn here. Um, and it's something that I've had on my mind for a very long time. Um, I don't know why I've never asked you this. I feel like I've always wanted to ask you, but I've never asked you. You've gone from running these B2C events that are huge, like you said, 25,000 attendees, and it's super well-known, and you've you've definitely broke... Everyone knows about your events. But now you're doing you're doing a lot of these B2B events and, and B2G, business to government, right? Is that a thing? Did I just make that up? Nope. B2G? It's a real thing. A, oh, God damn it. I, I feel like that would have <laughs> been a good term. So now you're doing all these, you know, these events where here you are, and I see pictures of you... And you're like with like the prince and and the kings of of Middle Eastern countries, and you're in Dubai, and you're with the sheikhs. And how did how did this Jewish kid from Toronto who went to yeshiva be be teaching um, teaching these uh, uh, um, government agencies and people and sheikhs and 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 kings and princes about crypto? How how do you how does that happen? I, I've been fortunate. I, I I've always loved Dubai. You're you're single handedly getting like world peace done, by the way. <laughs> I've been I've been very fortunate. I went to Dubai with the you know, I, I was very ignorant about Dubai early on. And I, I've been very fortunate to meet the right people that have told me uh dedicate resources and times to the middle and time to the Middle East and and be there and be a part of it and see what happens. And Bringing a new technology, I, I in the beginning I just thought, oh yeah, Dubai is an emerging emerging third world country, and then I went there and I'm like, holy shit, this is this is way more developed than anywhere else, and the people and the government officials have been receptive to learning more and being interested in things, and through an incredible chameleon act, I've been able to integrate there and be a part of the conversation and build this. Uh, global blockchain council as part of the government and work with the banks and governments and, and shakes to to learn more and promote this technology and technology in general, new technologies. But pr- promoting new technology in these countries is important and, prom- and, and people are generally receptive to this. But the, the bigger story that people don't generally talk about is how much good the industry does is doing in the world not not with the technology but just employing people and and bringing new technologies or awareness of different technologies to countries um it's very tricky for a bank to implement any sort of blockchain technology they have existing business lines that make a ton of money they have very little interest but they have usually an innovation department where they're curious and that curiosity is something that i've heard that before that the curiosity is essentially the the secret sauce in every agency, in, 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 especially in the Middle East, they're curious and they they show they're curious and they launch ministries of the future. Uh, shout out to the Dubai Future Foundation. Shout out to Smart Dubai who have been curious and excited. And when you create 
an environment where people are curious and passionate, like America did with the Apollo missions and the 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 uh, the mission to the moon. This got people excited and curious about new technologies. And the more we do to promote new technologies and to promote information about this, the better we do for everybody. Something like this podcast is important for the world. It's important for people to hear, be curious, and listen. It's funny to share stories, for sure. But it's also important just piquing people's curiosity. Like, you can do anything. You can join a startup. You can you can start your own thing in crypto, in blockchain, in whatever the hell you want. And people will be receptive to it. We're, we're basically giving people and empowering people to, to create change. And, and you still can. It hasn't changed. You still can do whatever you want in this space, and that won't change. No, there's endless opportunity here. And it, the to go back to the Middle East, that's that's sort of the, the mission and aim that I went there with is to start showcasing some of this technology and, and, and implementing it and hopefully getting some important people interested. And it worked. I met the right people and and being super respectful. But the, the more and more people are moving to Dubai or Abu Dhabi or, or Kuwait or, or Saudi to, to work on these projects because these are fresh landscapes and, and there's plenty of opportunities all over the world. I, I know the Middle East uh, very well, but I'm, I'm anywhere. I mean, there was a time where Korea was the next frontier. That, that, uh, a year and a half ago, two years, people were going to Korea and seeing what's going on over there. In the crypto space, we all, say, we all share the same ideology especially people who got involved in in the early days. But I still think that very, very many people share this. We all share the same ideology. And that means that we have a common bond. We have a shared goal. We have, um, I don't like to use the word enemy, but we have a shared um, something to overcome. And that, that, you know, something that's like bigger than us brings us all together. Um, now, getting into the crypto space um early on it brought together very odd walks of life you know we all were on the bitcoin talk forums and we came together and and i've said this before i've probably said it on your stage that bitcoin doesn't discriminate crypto doesn't discriminate it doesn't matter your 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 age your race or the color of your skin or your religion or your sexual preference or anything it doesn't matter if you're a if you're a robot if you're an alien it doesn't matter we're all this is the one of the most and it's great to see especially um how many more females have joined this industry because that was something that was that we needed to work on early on but this is one of the most inclusive industries and i I strongly feel that especially when you compare it to any other industry in the world why am i bringing this up is because people laugh when i say um crypto is will bring about um, less hate in the world and will reduce things like racism, anti-Semitism, things like that. And I really feel that way. I really, really strongly feel that way. A lot of people don't understand why, but I really feel strong that way because here we are sharing a common goal, a common bond. And I feel like what we what we were just talking about is a really good example of that because, you know, especially in today, the, 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 the phobias that we have and the phobias that our governments use to control us, they go on TV and they tell us to hate these other people. They go on TV and Trump is like, I hate Mexicans or we hate the Muslims or we hate this. And you go to another country and they say, we hate the Jews, we hate the Americans. It's just, that's the way governments control us with information. When they, when we, when they tell us who to hate, 
then we don't focus on hating them. Same thing in Venezuela right now. They blame the Americans. So no one really knows that the Venezuelan government actually is the one that's really bad. But when you remove that ability for the government to tell us who to hate and who to control, and, and crypto has, has given us that, that, that energy, that ability to do that, um, do you see that? Because I mean, here, like you, like I said earlier, you're 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 out there in Dubai and you're working with these people. Who do you ever double take and you say like like what other industry can can this be happening right now? I, I see that crystal clear. Fundamentally, blockchain technology requires more than one party to interact with you. Um, more and more databases speaking to each other makes it a better technology. And if if you think of how much of our lives are work with technology and how much there is interaction between people, companies, databases, all that, you see that it, it, it's it's not so much the crypto angle as it is this interconnectedness that removes the barriers. It, it's harder to be nationalistic and close-minded when you're involved in an incredibly interconnected industry. And creating a more interconnected world is will make change happen. And we are the agents of that change. And it's a huge responsibility as well. It's you can wake up and call sweats, what happens if if everything's gone? But just as easily, what happens if we haven't brought the change that we're supposed to? Because we're the only people that are doing it. I think we all have a moral responsibility to bring about a better future. And if, as we do, believe that this can bring out a better future, we absolutely have a responsibility to get up every day and try to build that future. As crypto people, fuck off with the drama. Just be nice to each other and work together. Collaboration is key. Try not to get your ego involved with stuff and try to build together. And and try not to screw each other. Try not to fuck over each other for a bit of money. I mean, long-term thinking, collaboration, these are the keys to a much friendlier future. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. EST. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter, Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. See you next week.